This is a VOLFM special broadcast. The COVID Report Show, Monday to Thursday, from 6 to 7 p.m. Exclusive to VOLFM 88.1. Hear it. Welcome back to the COVID Report. Still reeling from the effects of the decision to move from level five to level four. It is the beginning of a a work week for some, so to speak, uh, with an economy that was already in recession, in recession before the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the question that lingers is, can we go on any longer with the restrictions in place? Uh, for more on this, we are joined on the line by uh, Africa Connect's Adetunji Omotola, who's going to help us unpack this. Good evening, Adetunji, and welcome to the COVID Report Show. Good evening, Game. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you me. so much for taking the time to chat to us. Now, um, the first thing I'd like uh, to get from you is your insight on on this matter that um, has dominated discourse, um, particularly over the course of this past weekend and since the announcement was made, the idea that um, a, a, quote, phased approach is being employed to reopen the economy. Certain businesses are being permitted to continue operations. Certain businesses aren't. And the argument that swirls around um, within that public discourse that it's too soon. Is that a sentiment you agree with or disagree with? Look, I think that anything... Thank you very much for that lovely question. I think that any effort to open up the economy especially given that South Africa, as we sit today on the 4th of May, we have about 7,000 cases and 123 deaths. If you look at the population of South Africa, almost 60 million, 123 deaths from COVID for the past two months in South Africa is not really frightening. I mean, if you look at Algeria and Egypt, where there's less cases than South Africa, they've been three times the number of deaths. And so my sense is that phasing the opening of the economy is very critical because if you remember, South Africa was not growing. The economy was not growing at all. And there are so many people who were losing jobs. There were actually so many companies were shedding jobs before COVID. And maybe COVID, in some curious way, in God's intervention for South Africa, because now a lot of people uh, and now people who didn't even have jobs, now they're getting something from the government. And even some businesses, a lot of businesses are going to get something out of the COVID, the Solidarity Fund. But my worry, though, is that there's so many groups that have been left behind in this Solidarity Fund and all of the palliatives from the government, a critical component of that group that have been left behind are the what you call the foreign nationals or you call them foreign migrants. A lot of them, as you know, work on a daily basis, barbers, hairdressers, people who run small spaza shops and restaurants. These guys have been dying of hunger. And so in my community, at least, that I am very much a part of, the Nigerian community, there's been a lot of effort. And it's very difficult because of the lockdown permits that are required for people to be able to move around and do the necessary. In fact, there have been arrests for people trying to give food parcels in Durban and all of that. So it's been a double-edged sword. Also, what I've found is that the ministers, I think that whereas we see in the UK 
and the U.S., uh, Dr. Fauci and the vice president and the president really taking center stage in the communications uh, to the country in South Africa has almost been like a roll call of the cabinets. Everybody is speaking. And for me, when you have 20, 30 people speaking from Mbalula to Lamini Zuma to Lindiwe Zulu and so on, sometimes the messages are too many and they're confusing and people now are frustrated because especially with the cigarettes issue, the president announced that cigarettes can now pop up in level four. And you know what happens when you're a nicotine, nicotine addict. And then, uh, Lamini Zuma, Minister Lamini Zuma says, no, um, it's not going to happen. And now we're seeing the Ferrari. So our other government was, was, uh, well within their rights to do all of these things. We're still seeing that the cases are increasing. We're now at 7,000. When the president announced the lockdown, we we're on 400 and 402. And the week before that, we we're on 61 cases. So my sense is the tests are not being ramped up enough to be able to establish um, the, the, the impact of this COVID-19 in South Africa. But I must say that if I had to give the government a score, I would say I'll give them about 65% in terms of effectiveness in assuring that the stop the spread and also the way that they've been doing the tests. I mean, Nigeria hasn't done up to even 10,000 tests. So in that area, I think the government has scored well, but communications very, very poor for a country with so many media houses. I think they haven't done very well to communicate the message to the people, especially about the phasing, phasing out from level five to level four has been very, very badly managed. And I think in, in, in direct correlation to that, um, it's, it's, it's curious almost and quite fitting, um, one would say that, uh, 65% is the, the, the sort of score you give them, um, for their efforts. And speaking of, you, you, um, rightly touched on it just now, uh, the, the efforts of South Africa and the South African government have been lauded from, uh, from every corner of the globe, uh, just, just, uh, just the other week, we had, um, high ranking officials from the World Health Organization publicly praising South Africa's efforts to, um, deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And seeing that, um, see, see, seeing that, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa, um, President of the Republic of South Africa is also the chair of the African Union. When we take into consideration how South Africa has performed in relation to other countries of the African continent, do you feel he's doing enough in um, ushering uh, the way forward for the rest of the African continent and leading the African continent? Yeah, look, I think that President Sirima said the challenge, you see, when you're chairman of the AU, I need to make a distinction. President Sirima Posa is chair of the AU, but he's not chair of the AU commission. So basically there's a difference. He doesn't run the AU. He's just given direction as a president in terms of, he's almost like uh, the Queen of England. She's the head of the UK government, but she's not involved in the running, the day-to-day running. I mean, there's the Africa CDC, which is based in Addis. I mean, uh, I don't think there's any minister in South Africa. I don't think Dr. William Kizzi has any oversight over the Africa CDC. I mean, I don't, I've not seen any synergies between the NCDC boss, um, Dr. Chikwe Ihekweazu in Nigeria. I've not seen them exchanging notes with, uh, Dr. William Kizzi or the Minister of Health in Nigeria 
or the Ghana's Ghanaian Minister of Health. I've not seen any note swapping. Um, I, I go and look at the world meter of uh, Africa's COVID cases, and I see countries like Egypt and Algeria in the Maghreb, there's a lot of deaths there compared to South Africa or anywhere else. And if you look at tests in Algeria, there's no evidence of that. I don't see a lot of synergy. I see, though, that the president has made an appointment of uh, Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Iwela to go and lead the response in terms of trying to raise money for, you know, fighting COVID. But look, we see these things every day. I mean, a year or two ago, um, there's, there, there was a presidential commission, Trudy Makanya, Pumzile Langeni, um, Sebisi Jonas, that were nominated to go and look for money for South Africa. But that hasn't changed the stats in terms of the economy. So I know that from the optics that President Cyril Maposa has been given to South Africa and the rest of Africa, it looks good. I've seen the rave reviews from the Irish uh, WHO boss. His name escapes my mind. He's very senior in the hierarchy. But the reality is, look, at the end of the day, if people are dying of hunger, not only in South Africa, people are dying of hunger. When I say dying, people do not have food to eat. I'm involved in a lot of initiatives. Even in spite of the lockdown, we're trying to feed people, raising money through organizations to give families money so that they can go to the shops and have food. As the president of South Africa and also the chairman of the Africa Union, there's been zero support for the... Uh, South Africa belongs to all those who live in it. And what I suspect is that when we come back out of lockdown, a lot of the migrants, in fact, there was a group of about 3,000 Zimbabweans who left for Zimbabwe because they felt that they're better off going back home rather than dying of hunger here. And they didn't even mind to be quarantined for 21 days on arrival in Zimbabwe. I can tell you for free that the, 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 the community worse off in this whole thing is the foreign migrants because they can't do anything. They don't get SASA grants, 350, 500, whatever that figure is. I'm not sure. They don't have an ID when you say, okay, let's go and try and get food for these guys under the outing food parcels program. They can't get it because they don't have an SAID. How many people have SAIDs as a percentage of the total migrant population? So I think in that area, President Ramaphosa needs to ramp up because ultimately, I mean, even with the spread of COVID, you will find if you look at various countries, where the thing is even being spread is among migrant populations because they're the ones who are living in maybe 10 uh, families in one flat in Hillbrook. I don't know what the level of test has been in Hillbro and Beria and Yeovil, and people are still trying to move around and feed this guy. So I think in that area, I think the president needs to ramp up heavily. The same way that he's done with the Solidarity Fund, there should have been a migrant uh, support fund where he can invite some of his rich friends to put in maybe a billion or two, because that seems to be the standard, a billion or two. In Nigeria, is a billion naira or two. But a billion naira is far less than a billion rand. So, yeah, we, those are the areas where I think that the president needs to put a lot of uh, a lot of effort so that we can, the rest of Africa does, can also see that uh, President Ramaphosa is the president for the rest of Africa since he chairs the AU. And I think what has taken away some of the steam in terms of what the president has done is the announcement by the finance minister that those companies, restaurants that want to uh, 
apply for COVID-19 support, they have to show proof that majority of their staff are South Africans. And then he also went on to say that when he came back from exile, most of the restaurants were run by, well, where the staff were South Africans and there were only a few Malawians. He also used the Malawian example like President Zuma did many years ago. And I found that very unfortunate because the conditions in 1990 in countries like Zimbabwe were far better than the conditions today, 30 years after, given the meltdown in the economy. And, you know, at the end of this, South Africa is far more advanced economically than most of his neighbors, almost all his neighbors. So as Africans, we need to support one another when there's a problem. Nigeria did spend $8 billion liberating uh, Liberia and Sierra Leone during the war in those areas. So we can't say, oh, because uh, there's an economic decline, people shouldn't go back to work and so on because they're not South African. That is not a good thing to say. So that's my take. Absolutely. And I think it's also indica- indicative of the, the, the growing call for African solutions to what, what isn't exclusively an African problem. It's a worldwide pandemic, um, that's, uh, shattered lives, um, ruined, um, careers and taken lives all over the globe. Now, when we, um, take it back to, when we take it back to South Africa, when we take it back to Africa and we, 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 we take into consideration the call for these African solutions that I just alluded to, to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I, I recall, um, reports of, uh, medication from Madagascar that supposedly helps to cure and prevent, um, the virus. Is this, do, do you think there's any merit behind these avenues being taken by um, African officials or are those, are those just adding more noise to an already noisy situation? Look, I've seen the beauty about when the people are dying and there's no cure and, um, you know, it's not like, you know, there's a cure for COVID and uh, we live in an interesting world. Where do vaccines come from? And we all know that, uh, you know, anything that has to do with a cure will be found from plants or, you know, various flora and fauna. So this, uh, this virus, they said it's been spread by animals, bats. So if you're going to find the solution, the solution must come from this earth. And there's no one that has monopoly of wisdom in finding solutions or cures for any disease. No one. Now, I know that the West will always want to take the center, you know, where there's a disease that is killing so many people. And at the moment, most of the dead are people from America. I think America now has 20, uh, the United States um, has about 25% of the fatalities and they have about 30% of the global cases. They've now gone over 1 million cases. So, of course, there are big pharmaceutical companies who, uh, if you like, the usual suspects, and giving us uh, paracetamol and all these uh, drugs with aspirin, dyspirin, they will want to be at the front of, you know, finding the solution and making money from it because there's an economics of COVID as well. There's a geopolitics of COVID. The epicenter is in the West. They will want to be the ones that claim the, uh, that they found the vaccine. So anything that comes from Africa they're going to laugh at us and say, well, who are you to produce uh, 
or to claim to have a vaccine. But I think we, we also need to look at the scientific uh, validity of any solution that is preferred. And I think anything that is brought forward should be looked at very carefully, especially Africa. We have over a billion people and we can't afford to be waiting for solutions from countries with 30 million or 20 million simply because they're more advanced technologically. Because at the end of the day, when you talk about Dr. Charles Barnard, or Chris Barnard, the person that made heart transplant possible, when we talk about the guy who made the creepy crawlies from springs in South Africa, there's been so many inventions from Africa. But the reality for now is that even in the technological space, there's a war going on, there's competition. Some people have these things they don't want to let other countries get it. Some people are buying what they don't need. They're hoarding food. People are hoarding food. They hoard, they've hoarded alcohol, and now they're making money out of uh, poor people and not-so-poor people because we're locked down. So I think there's a lot to be said for anything that is, especially when the president of a country, and I know this has happened before with a guy called Yaya Jame of Gambia, who ruled Gambia for 20 years, who said he had a cure for AIDS. And so when a president comes out and says this is working, we have to investigate it and look at it for its merits, not say, oh, well, because it's coming from Africa, it's not going to be right to look at it. Let's focus on um, all these other other drugs that they're talking about from the United States. If I, I think we watch too much television. If we can stop watching uh, CNN for the next three weeks, I think we will probably be able to find our own cure in Africa because we've got br- brilliant scientists in South Africa. We've got brilliant epidemiologists. We've got virologists. We've got so many in Africa. But if people are watching CNN, when are they going to try? When are they going to find the vaccine? Because we're waiting for the Americas all the time. So I think every cure, every solution should be looked at, even homemade solutions. After all, people are making their own masks. They're not saying, oh, we got to wait for the Americans to send us masks. People are making a lot of things to go with these, the protection of uh, humans at this time. So if they can make masks, why can't they find a vaccine? That's the reality. We need to be our own, the authors of our own fortune. And Africans, for too long, we're waiting for the West to help us, even in terms of the money to fight COVID. We can raise money. We've seen the generosity of South Africans, of Nigerians, in raising billions of rand. And we can use that same effort to pursue the solution in terms of the vaccine. We don't need to wait for Rush. We don't need to wait for the big pharmaceuticals because Africa's destiny must be in its own hands. This is the 21st century of great African leaders like President Ramaphosa, Paul Kagame, Abiy Ahmed, Nana Kufuado, who are, who are fighting, leading the fight for COVID, speaking authoritatively about how we need to be phased in, phased out, and all of that. And I think Africans are watching and they're learning from these leaders that this, when there's a crisis, we need to step up and give no excuses. And that's what I think some of the African leaders have done. But it's not always easy to lead in Africa. You will always have your detractors, especially the opposition. Absolutely, Arutunji. And um, just finally from me, before I uh, let you go, I think I'd like to, I'd like to get your, your insight on, on the shape that African economies might be in 
post-COVID-19. If we're still operating with the idea that uh, this pandemic will evidently be a thing of the past one day, and you take a look at the the grand scheme of things, the way in which um, this pandemic has been addressed here in South Africa versus how it's being addressed in other parts of the African continent, the the effect it's had on people's jobs, the effect it's had on people's lives, um, the fact that, for example, we have uh, we we here in South Africa home to many foreigners, some of which work in the informal sectors, who are along who who are now with the many unemployed South Africans. Um, also in the informal trade, who are now forced to queue up for for food parcels and apply for for the various um, sources of funding that they're able to apply for. Um, when we take all of that in consideration and we consider a post COVID nineteen pandemic world. Um, that 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 the African continent makes it to. What kind of shape do you see the African economies being in, and do you think they are capable of rising stronger from this pandemic? Yes, you know, Africa, we've gone through so much. I mean, we've gone through wars, we've gone through slavery, colonialism. I mean, Rwandan genocide. You know, we even if you look at the current stats in terms of COVID. You look at the amount of people that have been infected by COVID, total cases and total deaths in Africa is so minuscule compared to the amount of people that died in Rwanda in a hundred days. Almost a million Rwandese people were murdered by their own people. Uh, true machete, some of the worst ways to die, you know, children, babies being skewered with sticks have been dumped in rivers. So I think what has happened, even total cases of dead people the entire universe today is still less than the population of Barbados, which is 250,000 people. I think we're now sitting at about 240,000 globally from this pandemic. So I think that Africa, we've seen a lot. Um, we, we, we're used to people dying. Look, in Nigeria, I think the figures of people who die every year, uh, infant mortality and maternal mortality is far higher than the amount of people that have died from COVID in the United States, far higher. And in South Africa, I know that the mother stats, when you look at the amount of people who die from murder in South Africa every year is far higher than uh, even the amount of people that have died in the UK. Well, the UK is 20,000 deaths from COVID. I think South Africa, sometimes the figures for murder is not too far from that figure. Having said that, when we look at the reality of what COVID has now told us, based on what we have been doing in the last few weeks, how have we been carrying on? People have been working. I certainly have been working. I've been talking to family more. I've been talking to friends more. We've been coming up with a lot of ideas of how to to raise the profile of what we're doing. Sadly, I do wine business, so that has been killed off with COVID. But I've been able to give advice to a number of organizations, particularly the Nigerian ones, in terms of even saying to them, look, things like permits. Every Nigerian in South Africa should get a permit. doesn't matter what type of permit. So long as it's better, it's better. A permit is better than no permit. And if you have a permit, you're more likely to be able to get some kind of employment because you will also not be illegal. But also, I'll give you an example. There's a young Zimbabwean carpenter who um, 
you know, I discovered him from a, a platform called Brown Sense on Facebook. And he told me that, that every time somebody puts up that they're looking for a carpenter, an electrician, that there will be about 100 comments. So I said to me, okay, what we can do, since I know a few people more than you do, we can become partners. If I, I'll be your boss, but we'll be partners. So I'll find you someone that needs your services. And then you can then uh, give me, so if it's a thousand rand, for example, uh, you can give me 10% of that thousand because I'm going to be using my time and energy. So you're going to see different kind of partnerships come up, but also everything I use the word online, online, online. So those who have been afraid to take their business online will have to be online. You don't only wait for the banks to lead in this department or the telcos. Fortunately for us, a lot of people have Android phones. You can do video calls. You can do um, WhatsApp calls. You can do group WhatsApp calls. So I think a lot of people have to move online. Traditional jobs may, may, be, uh, may be withered away somewhat, but I think a lot of people will have to upskill in terms of being able to sell to people online. Fortunately, deliveries are allowed. What I also said to people now is that if you have a skill, that maybe you've been keeping to yourself. Maybe you're good at making people's hair. Maybe you're good at cooking. Perhaps this is the time for us. After, after all, we've seen that food was an essential during COVID. But sadly, most of the businesses that were allowed to sell food to us are the giants like Peak and Pay and all those big boys, the usual suspects at Woolworths. And those are not naturally owned by uh, a lot of black people. So I think we're going to have to re-engineer the skill sets that we have. Um, I think the skills of plumbing, electrician, and carpentry should be emphasized by the South African government. I think those people will always be needed because people still have to build homes and things get uh, damaged. And also, I think e, uh, e-commerce, or sorry, e-learning in terms of education needs to be ramped up. I saw the Minister of Basic uh, Education. I think, look, to be Minister of Education in South Africa, I know they separated it. I think those two ministers will have to work harder, maybe become like Payansa Le Sufi in Hauteng, who has given a lot of kids laptops. I want to see the ministers at national level uh, learn a lot from Payansa Le Sufi, but South Africa is still not one of the most advanced in terms of education in Africa. So those ministers must become e-giants, e if you like, e-giants. So when I see Angie Moseka, I want to see her. I don't want to see her physically. I want to see her behind the screen like I'm seeing Cyril, like I'm seeing Kagame. I want to see her technologicalize a skill set because, after all, education is the bedrock of any strong uh, economy. And so we also want to see a reversal of fortune. I was on one um, one very powerful uh, webinar meeting, and the president of Ghana was a guest. The vice president of Nigeria was a guest, and we had a professor from Yale, another one from Harvard. The moderator was an avid alumni, and I was very sad for Africa because I thought after 60 years of independence, largely, on average, we're still having our leaders getting experts from Yale, and uh, alumni from Harvard coming to tell us about how to manage the lockdown and deal with social distancing. I felt that was a missed opportunity 
to promote Vitz Rand, UCT, University of Lagos, University of Ghana. After all, there's nobody that has monopoly of wisdom. And African universities must be at the center of fighting to ensure that economic advancement comes to Africa. So we can no longer look for solutions from Abbott or from London or Paris or Geneva. It must be homegrown. And that is why we're excited about the Africa continental free trade area. And we're happy that the South African is leading the secretariat in Accra, Ghana. His name is Wamkele Mene. That is Adetunjo Motola from Africa Connect helping us unpack the permutations and uh, the greater sort of uh, domino effects of the easing of lockdown regulations um, from level five to level four, the impact of the easing of those uh, regulations on the South African economy, the um, African economy and large, um, looking at how um, our efforts in South Africa are being meted out in comparison to um, other parts of the continent. And a uh, very spirited discussion indeed. Adetunji, thank you so much for joining us on the COVID report and for giving us this valuable insight. I must say that I'm very impressed with South African government thus far. But you know, I am very jealous of giving out extra marks unless I see that there's a light on the horizon. So there's no vaccine yet, and people are still hungry. So in those two areas, I think South South African government must step it up a notch further. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's why that's why that sixty five percent that you that 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 yeah, that you handed down to um, the South African government for our efforts is so fitting. So one more time, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us here on the COVID report. Sir. Very much, all the best. Stay safe. Put on your mask.